If you have not been with us the last uh, three weeks, uh, this is our fourth installment in a series entitled Brought to Life. Uh, it's an Easter series, so obviously next week we'll talk about the resurrection of Jesus and how he was brought back to life. But the idea behind the title, the idea behind the series is to help us understand the characters of the Easter story. And I invite you to go back online and find out, well, who was Pontius Pilate and why did he do what he did? And who are the people, the chief priests and the Pharisees who wanted to kill Jesus? And why did they want to do it? And who was Barabbas? We've talked about all these things. And the idea is to bring these characters to life. If um, you watch the TV series on, uh, entitled The Chosen on Netflix, other things, what you will find is, is that there's a story. When you know the backstory, all of a sudden people come to life. And now I can identify with them. And today we're going to talk about Judas, the man who betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And I want to give you fair warning. I, as I prepared for this, I would love to tell you that Judas is nothing like any of us, but that's not true. In fact, just like as we've studied the motivations of the people, the other characters in the story, we're going to find ways we can identify with them more than we care to admit. So today I'm going to pray that God speaks to us again. Even if you've been in church for decades and you've heard the Easter story dozens of times, I want us to hear it with fresh ears today. Because Judas' betrayal of Jesus, there are things we can learn from that. Will you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, I thank you that your word is our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And Judas is a study in how we don't want to practice our faith. And so, Lord, I pray that we will receive encouragement from your word today, and also challenges from your word today. Well, the story that some of us is terribly familiar. So Lord, I pray that you'll speak and move me out of the way and teach us whatever you want us to know as we do a little study on Judas. I pray that you'll bring him to life and we'll understand a little bit about what motivated him and we can check our own motivations as a result. In the wonderful name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Well, you have an outline with you. If you're online, we're glad you joined us. You can go to centeringlives.com and download a, a, uh, an outline there. But at the time of Jesus' arrest, it's important to have some background information what was going on. There were many people in Israel, and this is in your, on your outline here, that they were expecting the Messiah to come. The Messiah means anointed one. In the Old Testament, from the time of Moses on, there were prophecies given that there would be somebody like Moses, a great deliverer who would come. Moses was the man that God chose to deliver his people out of slavery in Egypt. And the last plague was a terrible plague on Pharaoh, the wicked king of Egypt. And everybody, the firstborn male in every household died all across Egypt because the angel of death passed over Egypt. And so there was a Someone dead in every household, including Pharaoh's house. But the Israelites, the people of God, they were spared because they'd placed the blood of a lamb on the doorposts of their houses, and the angel of death passed over them. Now, I tell you all this because the weekend that Jesus rode into town on a donkey on Palm Sunday, that's what this is, that was the weekend right before they were about to celebrate the Passover, Every spring, uh, they were required, the males were from every family were required, and they would bring their families with them to come to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover. 
This, they would remember how God had delivered them. He was their God and they were his people. And so Jerusalem would swell to a couple of million people. And the story we're getting into today, of, as Jesus rides into town, the expectations were that according to Old Testament prophecy, a great deliverer would come like Moses. The people had been under Roman occupation for 90, almost 100 years, and they were tired of it. And every year when they get to the Passover, they would pray, Lord, maybe this year you'll send your Messiah and rescue us because he would be somebody who would be a great king like his ancestor, David. So at the time of Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, there were people expecting the Messiah to come in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. I listed for you in your outline there just the references, Isaiah 42 and 61 and Zechariah 9.9. Let me read a couple of these to you. Look at my servant whom I strengthen. This is Isaiah 42, 1. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I've put my spirit upon him and he will bring justice to the nations. And people said, that's what we want. We want somebody with God's spirit on him who will bring justice. Here's Isaiah 61, 1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to comfort the brokenhearted to proclaim the captives will be released and the prisoners will be free. He sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. Man, bring that on, Lord. And people were praying this. It's in there. There's a prophecy. Someone like Moses and somebody who would be an ancestor of David. I didn't even include some of those. This would be, and David was the great king, the, the king who had killed Goliath with a stone. Jerusalem, where the temple was, was called the city of David. And this would be somebody who would love God like David did, and he'd be a mighty, victorious champion like David. And he would have victory over his enemies. Well, who better to hate than the Romans? And if somebody's coming, well, then they're going to set up the kingdom like David did, and it's going to be a revitalized Israel, and we're going to be victorious. In fact, Zechariah 9, 9 said, Rejoice, O people of Israel. This is 500 years before Jesus came into town that day. Zechariah 9, 9 says, Rejoice, O, peop o people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And on Palm Sunday, Jesus told his disciples, I want you to go find a donkey and a colt and bring them to me. I'm going to ride that colt into Jerusalem. Millions of people expecting a Messiah. And Jesus knew that. And he said, I want them to understand that the Messiah has come. And so when he rode into town, I mean, this is in your outline here. People were just went nuts. The Messiah is coming. I mean, they'd heard Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was there. And people were flocking to see him. This is a guy who was raised from the dead. He was standing there. How'd you get back to life? Jesus raised me. And all eyes were on him. Uh, listen to Matthew 21. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. I mean, they'd take off their robes and throw it on the ground. This is a sign of honor. Letting the donkey walk over it. Or they have palm branches. And palm branches were a sign of victory. This is victory, this is victory, victory. Finally, we got a champion coming our way here. Most of the crowd spread their garments the road ahead of him. Others cut branches from the trees, spread them on the road. 
Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, praise God for the son of David, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. And the entire city was in an uproar as Jesus entered. Who is this, they asked. And the clouds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. He does mighty miracles. He's the God, he's the guy whom God's favor rests upon. Could he be the Messiah? He's riding on a donkey's colt. That's the mind blown symbol, in case you forgot that, okay. Well, this didn't get, uh, go unnoticed by the people who were in charge. And if you missed our installment on the Sanhedrin, that's the next paragraph here, the members of the Jewish high council, these were the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they were in charge and they weren't about to let Jesus be in charge because Jesus had pointed out that they were self-righteous hypocrites and his popularity directly threatened their status and their income. Hmm. They were looking for a way to kill Jesus secretly because they feared the crowds might turn on them. And every day when he, he was teaching in the temple, but the chief priests and the teachers of the law, the leaders among the people were trying to kill him, but they couldn't find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. Okay, so this guy rides into town. The whole place is going nuts. They're convinced he's the Messiah. We can't let this guy go. Everybody's going to follow him. They're not going to follow us. This is how we make our living. This is how we get our status. This is going the wrong way. We got to kill him. How are we going to do it? You go stone this guy right now publicly, they'll stone us. They're convinced he is the Messiah. We got to find a way to do it secretly. But how? Now you're ready to hear about Judas. Now you're ready. Now you know the background. This is what was going on. Judas, point B, one of Jesus' disciples, agreed to hand Jesus over to the Sanhedrin secretly. I mean, this was the gift they were looking for. One of Jesus' chosen 12 was going to betray him. Luke 22, the festival of the unleavened bread, which is also called the Passover. Remember, this is when they celebrate the deliverance of uh, God, that God delivered them from slavery in Egypt, was approaching, and the leading priests and the teachers of religious law were plotting how to kill Jesus. Now, what's amazing here is that they celebrated the Passover by butchering a lamb and taking the blood even in that day and still spreading it on the door frames of their houses. Thousands and thousands and thousands of lambs were slaughtered at this time and the blood was put on the door frames of the people's houses. That's how they celebrated this. So while they were preparing to celebrate the Passover where they would slaughter a lamb and put its blood on the door, because if you were under the blood, you were saved from death. They were plotting to kill Jesus, the Lamb of God, who, came, who comes to take away the sins of the world. Now, if that isn't profound to you, I don't know what could be more profound. This is when Jesus is coming into town. Well, the festival of the unleavened bread, which is also called the Passover, was approaching, and the leading priests and the teachers of religious law were plotting how to kill Jesus, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. And then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12 disciples, and he went to the leading priests and the captain of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. 
they were delighted. And they promised to give him money. So Judas agreed and began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus so they could arrest him when the crowds weren't around. They said, look, we'll pay you money, but we need, you need to provide us with a time and a place where Jesus is going to be when no one's around so we don't cause some big giant riot and we get stoned to death. And Judas said, I'll figure it out. I'll get back with you. I'll give you, I'll let you know where he's going to be. So this is what's going on. Now, it's important here to note this. Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him, but he allowed it so God's plan to save mankind from sin and death could be accomplished. A few hours before Judas betrays him, Jesus has gathered with his disciples to have the Last Supper. The Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. It's at the end of their own Passover celebration. And during the celebration, Jesus has taken some bread and broken it and said, this is my body broken for you. And he passed around a cup of wine and said, this is my blood shed for you. They didn't understand at the time, but the next day they would. And he had just given them an example too. He had washed their feet and he said, you know, if you love others, when you love others and serve them the way I serve you, then people will know that you're my disciples and God will bless you. But then he said, I'm not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I've chosen, but this fulfills the scripture that says, the one who eats my food has turned against me. And I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you'll believe that I am the Messiah. Now, Jesus was deeply troubled and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. And the disciples looked at each other, wondering whom he could mean. Lord, who is it? And Jesus responded, it's the one to whom I give the bread that I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And when Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. And Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. Now, none of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Since Judas was their treasurer, some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or... Give some money to the poor. So Judas left at once, going out into the night. And Jesus knew. I mean, he knew. He told Judas, go do what you're going to do. Well, if he knew what was going on, why didn't he stop him? Well, that's the life application point. Jesus willingly suffered and died on the cross so that, and I want you to put your name in here. I put my name in there so that John Schmidt could become part of his family. Please write your name in there. Jesus willingly suffered and died on the cross so that John could become part of his family, so that you could become part of his family. He willingly let himself be betrayed by one of his own disciples. He knew it was happening. He willingly let himself be nailed to the cross. In fact, he prayed for the people who were nailed to the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I do know what they're doing, but they don't. When Peter had, later on would try to defend Jesus with a sword in the garden, told him, put away your sword. I could call down 10,000 angels. I've come for this reason. Judas didn't understand why Jesus had come at all. But you and I do. We have the scripture to tell us. He came to die on the cross 
so that I could become part of his family and that anyone who comes to him, whosoever would believe in him, would not perish but have everlasting life. Now listen to this. This is Ephesians 1, Paul reflecting on this. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. I've shared this with you before, and when I share that passage with you, I always want you to read it and put your own name in wherever it says us. So listen to me read this together. Let me, or just follow along as I read this again, and we look at it together. Where it says us, I'm going to put my name in there and put your name in as I read. Even before he made the world, God loved John and chose John in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt John into his own family by bringing John to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Let that wash over you. Jesus became a human being, suffered all these horrible tortures, was beaten, spit upon, nailed across, betrayed, and did all that because he loves me so much and he loves you so much. Judas didn't understand it, but we do. And that brings us to the next point. Judas most likely betrayed Jesus because he'd become disillusioned over the kind of kingdom Jesus was setting up. I mean, when Jesus started out, there were people flocking to him. I mean, one time when he uh, fed a crowd, there were 5,000 men, not counting women and children. I mean, these huge crowds, he was like a rock star and people would come from all over and Jesus would do these powerful miracles and it was clear that he would tell his disciples that he was the Messiah and he'd come into the world to save the world. And Judas and the other disciples thought, well, just like everybody else, they had the same expectations, the same wrong expectations that everybody else had. And so all of a sudden, Jesus started telling them things like this, those who love their life in this world will lose it, and those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. And this is the note I just mentioned. Judas and the other disciples had some of the same wrong expectations of Jesus and his kingdom that everyone else in their culture had. Everyone else thought Jesus is coming in. He's going to drive out the Romans. He's going to establish a new kingdom, just like his ancestor David. He's going to be king. We're going to be his subjects. Israel will be back on the map. We're going to be in charge. And the disciples thought, hey, if Jesus is in charge and he's setting up a new kingdom and he's chosen us to be his disciples, that means we're going to have places of position and honor in this kingdom in a revitalized Israel. And so Judas thought the same way they did. Now you understand this story that comes out of Matthew 20. The mother of James and John, two of the disciples, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons, and she knelt respectfully to ask Jesus a favor. What's your request, he asked. And she replied, well, in your kingdom, please let my two sons, just a small request here, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied, we're able. And Jesus told them, well, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father's prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. And when the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant and they wondered why they didn't think of it first. Okay, that was the thing. 
The disciples, like everybody else, thought, if I follow Jesus, then I'm setting myself up pretty. Judas would have thought that. Until Jesus started telling them he'd come to suffer and die. In fact, one of the times he told his disciples, I've come to suffer and die, Peter grabbed him and said, surely not, Lord. And Jesus turned to him and said, get behind me, Satan. He was talking to Peter. You're talking like the devil here. The devil had tried to trick Jesus and to tempt him to not finish his mission. But the disciples, like everybody else, thought, hey, if I follow Jesus, then it's going to make me powerful and rich and famous. And so James and John, their mom, came to Jesus. I have a small request. When you set up your kingdom, just a small request, would you make one of my sons your prime minister and the other secretary of state? That's all I'm asking for. Just a small request. I mean, she's a mom. Anybody who's ever coached Little League knows what this is like. <laughs> I used to coach Little League, and everybody, their mom would go, you need to put my son in the infield. Ma'am, your son couldn't run out of sight in a month, okay? This is the slowest young man I've ever seen. Oh, he needs to be here. Because they believe, everybody believes their kid's the best. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink of this cup of supper? Oh, yeah, we can. Well, they did. James was the first of the 12 disciples who was martyred. I mean, Herod Agrippa ran him through with a sword. John was the last of the 12. When he wrote the book, of Revelation, he was in exile. They suffered greatly. But the time when mom was making their quest, they didn't have a clue. They were thinking like everybody else. Hey, if I follow Jesus, everything's going to work out rosy. And there's a life application for you and me in this. We must have the right expectations about what it means to follow Jesus. But Jesus called them together and he said, Now you know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people and the officials flaunt their authority over those under them, but among you it'll be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. A ransom is a payment to set people free. It means the payment to get a hostage away from the kidnappers. I mean, Jesus was trying to explain to them, I didn't come here to set up a political kingdom that would set you free from Rome and the emperor. I'm coming here to set up an eternal kingdom that'll set you free from sin and death and the control of the devil. And Judas didn't get it. The other disciples didn't get it. The crowds cheering for him didn't get it. And that's why they turned on him on Good Friday. He didn't look like a mighty victor when he's hanging on the cross. Point D. Judas pretended to be a follower of Jesus until doing so no longer furthered his own ambitions. Shortly before he was crucified, Jesus went to the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the man he raised from the dead. 
And Mary took a 12 ounce during the dinner. Mary took a 12 ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance, but Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. And John comments here, not that Judas cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole them for himself. I mean, now you understand Judas a little better. He's following Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed of God, who's coming to reestablish a kingdom. Well, if he chose me to be one of the disciples and I'm treasurer now, I'm going to be secretary of the treasury in the new kingdom. And if I can skim some money off of this bag of money we carry around now, imagine what, I'm, what the take is going to be when I'm in charge of the economy of the whole country. And then Jesus goes, why are you rebuking this woman for worshiping me? And Judas goes, because that could have been a lot of money. I, I could have had a good cut off of that. And so when he betrayed Jesus, he was just doing things that satisfied his own ambitions. Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men. This was later after the Lord's Supper had happened and Judas had gone out into the night. Jesus had told his disciples, after we finish here, we're going to go to this olive grove on the side of this hill outside of Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives, where there's lots of olive trees. It was a place where Jesus often went to go pray. He said, that's where we're going. And he let Judas know that. And so Judas knew where to bring people later that night. So Judas, one of the 12, showed up there later that night, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They'd been sent by the leading priests and the elders of the people, and the traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You'll know which one to arrest. It's poor lighting here. I mean, they just had torches and other things. You'll know which one is Jesus, because I'll greet him with a kiss. And so Judas came straight up to Jesus. Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him a kiss. And the life application for you and me is this. The New Testament tells us we need to examine ourselves to see if our faith is genuine. Because Jesus had even quoted the Old Testament prophet Isaiah in Matthew 15 and said, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right with, when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And Judas was the ultimate picture of this because he literally honored Jesus with his lips while he's betraying him to death because Jesus isn't the person he thought he was going to be. The kingdom he's setting up isn't the kingdom I want. I don't want to follow Jesus if I got to be a servant. I don't want to follow Jesus if I got to forgive people. I want Jesus if he does for me what I want him to do. Now, in order to understand this, I mean, it's a good thing all that stopped back in Bible times. I mean, you'd have to imagine there'd be a culture where people would show up at a worship service just because they wanted to date somebody else there. I mean, that would never happen. Happens all the time. I remember when I was in a, a college ministry, in college ministry years ago, there was a woman in our ministry and she, would, she was really pretty and outgoing and there were guys that always wanted to date her and she'd be dating somebody pretty much every month. She'd find somebody else that she was going out with. And I, I started a small group Bible study for a group of guys in that group. And one time we were sitting around and we realized that three of the eight guys in this group had come to the group because they dated this girl. They all wanted to come to our group because of her. They ended up staying because the Lord spoke to them while they were there. 
And so, man, I was sad when that girl graduated. She was the best outreach program we ever had. I mean, she was amazing. <laughs> These guys didn't want to come to church to hear about God or follow Jesus. They wanted to be with her. Good news was God spoke to him anyway. But understand this, Judas didn't want to follow Jesus. Judas wanted to be around Jesus so Jesus could help him reach his selfish ambitions. I know this is unbelievable. It would be like a politician all of a sudden attending church during an election cycle to be seen by his constituents. Can you imagine this? I think you can. But what about you and what about me? Do I come to be seen? My boss goes to this church. I'm looking for a promotion. Maybe that'll help me get the promotion. Well, I put some money in an offering plate. Why'd you do that? Well, I figure if I put some money in the offering plate, then God's going to help me uh, with my dating life or God's going to help me with this health problem. And then when it doesn't happen, then I stop going to church, stop giving money to God, stop praying, stop reading the Bible. God didn't work for me. That's Judas. It's not working out. Jesus isn't going the way that'll benefit me. I'm getting off the train. That's Judas. I told you, this gets uncomfortable when you start looking at what actually motivated him. I don't want to be like that, and I hope you don't either. I don't want to be a phony. I'll sing praises to you, Lord, but I'm not about to obey you. And when Judas, last point here real quickly, when Judas realized what he'd done, he ended his life in despair. Matthew 27, when Judas, who betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. I've sinned, he, decla he declared, for I betrayed an innocent man. <laughs> what do we care, they retorted. That's your problem. Now you know why Jesus called them phonies. Then Judas threw the silver coins down the temple and went out and hanged himself. Here's what's important to note. There's a big difference between remorse and repentance. Judas experienced remorse. He did not repent. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Peter denied Jesus and went out and wept bitterly, but when he heard that the tomb was empty, Peter was the one who got to the tomb first. When he had a chance to run to Jesus, he ran back. Remorse is feeling bad for what I've done. You mean you can have remorse without repentance? Sure. A friend of mine in college had great remorse over a lot of things he did. And every time he had remorse, he went out and got drunk. And then he had remorse over that too. Some people have remorse and they go and fill up their schedule so full they never have time to think about the things they've done. They become workaholics or alcoholics or shopaholics or whatever it is. So they never have to think about the things that make them so sad. That's not repentance. Repentance is, I've done this wrong. I need to go back to God. I need to, my actions need to line up with what God wants. I repent. I'm turning around. 
I mean, Judas recognized he'd sinned, but he didn't run back to Jesus. And so the challenge for us today is, man, this is why we run to Jesus. He loves us. Last point, we can rejoice because Jesus came to save us, not condemn us. We don't ever have to be afraid of going to Jesus. I mean, conviction is when the Holy Spirit tells us, hey, you need to repent and come back to Jesus. Condemnation is this, you're terrible, you're a rotten person, God hates you and will never forgive you. That's not what the scripture says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. My friends, this is the message of Easter. Come to Jesus. Judas was wrong. He didn't even understand who the Messiah was. He was also wrong because he never believed in Jesus. He didn't believe that Jesus could forgive him and restore him, and so he hung himself. Peter did believe in Jesus, and when the tomb was open, he ran and got there first. If Jesus is alive, there's hope for me. Jesus is alive, there's hope for you and me. This is the message of Easter. Yeah, please applaud that. So I'm going to lead us in a, I'm going to ask our worship team to come out here. We're going to sing a song that ties us all together for us. But can you just pray with me for a second? We need to examine ourselves and go, God, what have I been doing? Am I playing games, honoring you with my lips, but I'm not doing the things I know I need to do? Am I returning to you or not? Will you pray with me? Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to be here today. And Lord, even when we're talking about Judas, it's just so incredibly clear. This is a guy, he just wanted to be around you so he could get what he needed. He wasn't following you, Lord. He was asking, he was riding your coattails. And Father, you sent your son into the world to adopt us into your family, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to give us a new life not to just meet whatever selfish goals we have. God, the disciples didn't understand, Judas didn't understand, but now we understand. If there's an area in your life where you know you've been rebelling against God and you know you need to repent and return to him, you say, Lord, I heard you today. I know I'm wrong. Please forgive me. Please restore me. Oh, Lord, I just pray that the good news of Easter wash over us. I love it that Peter ran to the tomb. If Jesus is alive, there's hope for me. Jesus is alive, there's hope for us. Let us experience this. Let it just wash over us, Lord. God, I don't want to be like Judas. Point out anything that's sinful in me. Show me so I can surrender it to you, Lord. I repent. I come to you. I need you. I want you. I want your will for my life, not my will for my life, but I need you.
In the wonderful name of Jesus, the one who rose on Easter, we pray these things. Amen.